Well, a couple of things that I want to chat with you about before we open God's Word. One is uh, last week uh, we had a worship pastor candidate here by the name of Salo Neves, and have very good news. We did extend a call to him uh, to come here, and he accepted, and so he will be starting here in the month of March. So very excited about God's leading in that, Salo, and his wife Mara, and uh, their daughter Sarah. We'll be looking for a place to hang their hats here in Lethbridge, and uh, we encourage you to continue praying for them as they get ready to move down here from Red Deer in just a few weeks' time. Very excited about that. On January 23rd, on on an entirely different note, um, one of the great people of the faith died. And uh, yesterday I watched the funeral live streamed of uh, Dr. Arnold Cook. And some of you might know that name, many of you wouldn't. Dr. Cook was a professor. He was a missionary. He was a professor and a pastor. He was in charge of all of the missionary personnel for our family of churches around the world. And then for eight years, he was the president. He was the overall leader of all our family of churches here in Canada. Very godly guy, a guy that had huge impact in my life a number of times. As a speaker, Dr. Cook was a very plain-spoken guy. Uh, He kind of shot from the hip, and he would call himself an exhorter, and he was an exhorter, and he was known as well for his little sayings. Everybody called them cookisms. And all through this last week on social media, people have been commenting on the cookisms, the little statements he'd make, and then a whole bunch of little vignette, video vignettes of him talking about these individual ones um, were, were put online. And uh, as I said, he impacted my life many times. He spoke in this church 22 years ago. I remember him standing right here talking, and he just spoke very plain from the hip. And as he was done, he said, and that's the way I see it. And then he went and sat down. Let me mention two of his most known cookisms. And as I just mentioned them, and all I'm going to do is mention them, I just invite you to pray and say, God, might you have a word for me today from them? The first one, the one he was most known for, was four letters. M-I-F-G. He actually had those four letters on his car license plate. And it stands for Maximum Impact for God. Maximum Impact for God. And he would say, in light of eternity, in light of heaven and hell, in light of what God has done for us and what God has called us to, am I very seriously undertaking my M-I-F-G in life? God, what is your M-I-F-G for me? Second one, that many knew him for as well, was wherever you are, be all there. And we waste so much time and effort in life peering over the fence saying, if only I could be there, if only I could have that job, if only I could have that relationship, if only I could have this, that, or the other thing, then I'd finally be happy. And he would say, where has God placed you? And wherever he's placed you, be all there. Did you need one of those exhortations or did I need one of those exhortations today? Let me pray with you. Father, as we open your word here in just a moment, we're so grateful for how you long to speak to us, how you long healthy, abiding, um, thriving relationship with you. 
And so we pray that that would be case, that would be the case, and that it would just sort of um, pulsate out of these texts today. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so we're continuing our series of messages, Nearest and Dearest, based on the gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament of John, with the idea being that John was Jesus' best friend. And so John has this unique ability to hold Jesus very high, to hold him in reverence, and we talked about that a lot in the first week, to have this very awe-based, reverent-based relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also as Jesus' best friend. He experienced many things and wrote about things that others didn't get a chance to be part of. And so he says, listen, let me talk to you about some of these things so that then you can be in that kind of relationship with Christ, one that holds him high and yet nearest and dearest best friend with Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking from the book of John about healing and considering in particular our posture, how we orient ourselves towards him as we come from healing, come for healing. And today, which is a custom in our church, two or three times a year we do this, we have healing services. And uh, we're going to have four stations set up around the, the sanctuary, and you're going to be invited to come to be prayed for, for a spiritual need, for an emotional need, for a physical need, on behalf of someone, whatever the case may be, we invite you to be praying in these next minutes and saying, God, what, what do you want to do in my life? What do I really need from you? And we will ask you to specifically mention that as you come. And we will pray for you. And in fact, it's interesting. I was just chatting just a few days ago with someone from our church. And they talked to me about how at the last healing service, God healed them completely as we prayed. So we're going to be reading two stories this morning and just very briefly considering them. And as we read these two stories, just look at the posture towards Jesus. And so if you have your Bible... Turn with me to John chapter 5, fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep's Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no, idea, no one to help me to get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed and had, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, there's many things we could comment on this, and I've preached on this passage before, and so I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm just going to pick out a couple of nuggets from this passage. And the first one is, it's this, it's this very curious question from Jesus. Do you want to get well? And it's curious because we would naturally assume that anyone and everyone wants to get well. But from this passage and just from what we know in life, clearly not everyone does. And so the first part of the posture, if you were to come today, revolves around the idea of wanting to, preceding how to. Wanting to really precedes how to. Do I really want to receive what God wants to give? Because oftentimes we don't. And when it comes to being healed, some people, some people would rather just keep complaining than make the needed changes that they need to. And so they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to do this, that, and the other thing, and that'll help you down the path towards wellness. And the person says, no, I don't want to do any of those things. It's too complicated. I don't want to respect your, your, your counsel. I just want more pills. Not that there's anything wrong with medication, but sometimes people will say, I just want more pills. And then when the doctor wisely says to you, no, I'm not going to give you more medication because if you just did this instead, you'd be okay. We walk out and we say, what a lousy doctor, and I'm going to go find someone else, and we tell them a different story so we can get the medication so we don't have to be obedient. Am I ready to hear? Am I ready to obey? to do whatever God calls me to do. Because Jesus wants to shape something in me through this whole process. And so want to precedes how to. Do I really want to get well? Now it's interesting to me that it says in verse 3 that there's a great number of disabled people, the text says, but at that time Jesus doesn't go and heal every one of them. He just heals one person. And so the, how, how God goes about it in terms of timing and, and when he wants to do what he wants to do in a person's life is very evident here and in the next passage we're going to look at. Another idea about posture is that at times we're very jealous when God heals someone or does something in that person's life when over there and he doesn't seemingly do anything in our life and we can't be happy for them, we can't rejoice with them, we can't praise God for what he's done. And maybe an adjustment of that posture needs to take place. Or sometimes, as we're going to discover in both these passages, God does something in a way that we're not comfortable with, at least some people aren't comfortable with, and we're not used to him doing it that way. And so we attack, which happens in both these passages, what God has done. You healed this guy on the Sabbath. That's against one of our 612 man-made rules that says you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. You asked this guy to carry his mat. That's against another one of those rules that we created. That we, and you got him to do that. We're mad with you. The Ten Commandments are clear that we're to take a break on the Sabbath for worship and for rest and things of that nature. But these guys looked at what God had written and said, uh, we need to add some fine print because God did not do a good enough job. 
And so we're going to write our 612 law rules on top of what God has already said. And so another part of the posture is we need to cling to God's principles and then be very flexible with methods. And sometimes we're really not up for that. We want it the way we want it, the way we're used to it happening. And sometimes if you know this book at all, you know that God at times does very unusual things. Are we prepared to let God be God? He never gives up that right. He never says, oh, you're in charge, Scott. He's God and he never gives that up. Do I believe God is still in the business of healing? For this guy, it was God's day to heal him. For the others, that was going to come at another time. And so God is always in charge of the timing. And he either does it, as you've often heard me say, he'll either do it now, sometimes he does it instantly. Most often he does it through the good gift of medical science. Sometimes he does it over time, and sometimes he does it ultimately at the resurrection. And this story, I would contend, is really a, really a beautiful sneak preview of Resurrection Day. In both of these stories, it wasn't so much about these guys looking for God as God seeking them out. When we invite you to come, which is in keeping with a James 5 passage, Come to one of the four stations around the room. Um, Really what you're doing in obedience to James 5 is, is you're really humbling yourself. And you're saying, I'm coming to God. I'm coming to ask you to pray for me. And and it's kind of a humbling thing. And you're saying, I need help. In this story, Jesus seeks them out. So I don't know what your situation or your story is. But what might God be saying to you in all of this? Do you want to get well? Very serious question. Let's turn over to chapter 9 and read a few verses out of there at a second story. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And another story of Jesus healing, because Jesus is the healer. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salome. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. See, they, they weren't used to this, and so they... You know, when it happened, they couldn't really believe it. This can't be the same guy. And he speaks up and says, I am the man. You know, in other words, I know that I was the guy. And I know I've been blind for at least 30 years. So uh, I am the person. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, the guy said. 
They brought him to the Pharisees and the man, the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? So they were divided. Whenever we're sick or there's unresolved issues in our life, we will typically find ourselves wondering if there's a spiritual cause for that. And so we find ourselves, you know, we're, we're, we're praying and we ask more times than we can count. You know, what's, what's the root of this, God? Why is this happening? And so we, we're wrestling with this idea. I don't want to have a victim mentality. I don't want to blame this perhaps on a demonic attack. I don't want to go on a wild goose chase for something that might not be there. But on the other hand, I don't want to accept less than what God has for me because I'm not listening. So God, what's the deal here? So let's look at some further posture questions that this passage would seem to suggest. And the first one that we often roll around in our mind is that question of why. So even though probably no one in this room can really relate to this, let's try to emotionally connect to this man that's blind from birth. He's never seen the sun set or rise. Many people in his community, and even in our world right now, would assume he's cursed of God. In that setting, in all likelihood, he was probably, he probably received no formal education because they wouldn't have sort of the, the processes in place to facilitate that. He couldn't work in the typical ways, and he would have been severely limited, especially in that era and that culture, with the things he could do. He more than likely would never have been given a chance to get married or have children or anything like that. And people were cruel to him. The disciples were cruel to him. He's not blind. He's not deaf, rather. He's blind. And they come up, and more than likely, they, he could hear them say this, you know, who sinned that he's blind like this? Was it him or his parents? And I wonder how many people are in this room that have some kind of a chronic illness or some kind of a chronic limitation in some way, and you've had any number of people come into your life and say things that are not just, just not helpful, in fact, are, are deeply cruel. We need to be careful what we say to people. And so the disciples basically see this through a very rudimentary lens, and they say there's two options. Who sinned, this guy or his parents? And we often tend to go down one of two paths in life. One would be made to be described as the karma path, and the other is the kingdom path. And the karma path is a man-made invention, which, I, which, which would understand that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And a large part of the Eastern religions that sort of spawned that um, has been transferring over into our thinking as well. And so the tendency with that is to not have a lot of compassion for a person that's suffering. Because obviously they or their family deserves this. And if I show compassion, I'm actually short-circuiting the process as I'm interfering with their ability to pay their karmic debt. 
Think about how often we stumble into this. We see somebody where something difficult or bad happens into their life, and we, subtly, we may not say it out loud, but we're thinking, I wonder what bad thing they did to deserve that. Well, in this case, Jesus says, listen, it has nothing to do with sin. It's all about suffering. And there can be a number of reasons, which we've talked about any number of times over the years, as to why a person is sick. Let me just mention a few of them again quickly to you, just to be reminded. One of them could be sin. It could be the reason a person is sick is a direct result of their wrong, sinful choices. So, for example, they drink too much alcohol, they drink it to excess, and their liver is shot. Or they don't do enough exercise, or they don't take their, their chiropractors or their medical doctor, whatever's advice, and, and, and serious consequences come as a result. Sometimes it's the result of family sin. And so a, a woman is pregnant, and uh, she drinks alcohol while she's pregnant, or, or her significant other, her spouse, is an angry, abusive man, and he pushes his pregnant wife down the stairs in a fit of anger. And the unborn child suffers as a result of their sin. But sometimes it's not their sin or someone else's sin, parents' sin. It's just a fallen world. We live in a fallen, broken world. And as a result of that, we live uh, in a world that's unfair, in a world that's often unjust, And so people become ill, or they aren't treated appropriately, or they're affected because they live, and we live, in a broken world. Sometimes it's because of demonic attacks, and the demonic attack comes, and a person is sick, not because they're ungodly, but because it's just the opposite. They're godly, and they're leading a holy life, and they're attacked by the evil one as a result of that. And so often when we will pray for people, we will pray binding those things. And the story of Job is a classic example of that. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was leading a very righteous life, and the evil one attacked him and tried to get him to curse God, which he didn't. Another reason might be just that you've been victimized by someone. You haven't done anything wrong. You didn't deserve this, it's unjust, unfair world, but you're deliberately victimized by someone. And the story of Joseph in the Old Testament is a classic example of that on numerous occasions. Sometimes it's just mysterious, and we just don't know why. John chapter 9 is an illustration of this. We know that he was blind for at least 30 years, and the reason I see that is when his parents are questioned about this situation, they say, no, he's of age, and that means in that culture, he's at least a 30-year-old male. So he had been blind for a minimum of 30 years. And for 30 years, we have no idea as to why he's blind. And it's finally revealed in this passage. The disciples think, unfortunately, only in two categories. They have a a karma-like approach. God and his word is so much bigger and better than that. So much more compassion than the flawed human invention of karma. Absolutely, some people um, are sick as a result of their wrong, bad, sinful choices. But some are just broken. 
And life is hard, not because of sin, but because of suffering. Now, it's absolutely true that in a general sense, we're all sinners, the Scripture teaches us. All of us need to be forgiven. Every one of us need grace applied in our life, available only in Christ. And we are completely and utterly separated from a holy God. And apart from the grace of Christ, that will always be the case. But this is not what's going on in John chapter 9. Not the reason for his blindness. And of course, sadly, in this situation, the religious people are not helpful again. And yet another example where Jesus is so much better than religion. And what happens in verse 3 is Jesus shifts the focus. The disciples want to make it about why. Jesus shifts our posture from why to how. How can God be glorified in this situation? How can I honor you, God, with my life? And there's at least four answers to that question. How I can honor God with my life in this circumstance. And the first one, even though it's not applicable here, is just in the area of sin. If I'm sick or I'm needing some healing or a touch in my life in some way because I've sinned, the good news is, is I can repent. That Jesus longs for me to repent, for to own, me, to own my sin and repent of my sin, and he'll forgive us, and he will cleanse us, and he will heal us. And this glorifies God. When a life is changed like that, God is glorified and honored. So that's one way. Another way is just as a, as a testimony, as an encouragement to people that are already part of the family of God. When we see someone who is faithful to God and honors God in their suffering, it's an incredibly powerful message that challenges us to be faithful. And there's so many stories like that in this room. People who have not run from God when it was tough, but instead they run towards him. And so we have this incredible opportunity to encourage the troops, in a sense. Thirdly, just as a witness to unbelievers. Pre, you, you often hear me say this. I think we have no idea how closely the pre-Christians around us are watching us. They want to see how we handle the hard times. Do we curse God? Do we become totally self-centered? Or do we trust Him? So that they look at us and they say, that guy's relationship with God is real. I think their God must be real. Then last week, uh, sometimes... He can be honored simply by using it as ministry to comfort others. Sometimes, sometimes suffering people are very self-centered, selfish people. Now, how do I know this? Because at times when I've suffered, I've been very selfish. You know, sort of thrusting ourselves into the center of everyone's universe. Instead, we can take the approach that yeah, we can honestly say, yeah, it hurts. You don't pretend like it doesn't hurt. It hurts. And no, I'd like to know why, but I don't understand. It's a mystery. But despite those things, I'm going to trust God for healing now or, 
or later or over time or even at resurrection. And for the, but for the most part, right now, I'm going to use these circumstances to help others. I'm going to say, God, would you bring people across my path that this unique experience you can use in their life? And the Bible actually says to comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received. And so I haven't, you know, I haven't been disabled. I haven't lost my sight. But there's been other things in my life. And so I understand asking the why question. I get it. But I think Jesus is inviting us to move beyond that into the how question. And maybe, just maybe, as you come to be prayed for this morning, if you feel led to do that and you come, maybe that would be the primary thing God will address in your life. I'm going to help you move from asking the why question to the how. How can this be used in my life to glorify God before he brings healing? As always, in chapter 5 and in chapter 9, the healing is based exclusively on the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It's all based in him. It's not in the person praying or the words they're saying. We're just very junior partners in the relationship. It's all about Christ. And he's the one doing the healing. And so here, he does this very unusual thing, because sometimes God does. He kind of leans down. He repeatedly spits. For those that like to spit, you've got a kind of a friend in Jesus here. Um, he spits a bunch of times, and he kneads the mud, and the dirt, and he makes mud out of it. How many times did he have to spit to do that? And he smears it on the guy's face, and he, he heals him. And this is in fulfillment, this healing of the sight of, of a prophecy that was written 700 years before in Isaiah 61. And then Jesus quotes it in Luke chapter 4. He says, I'm here for a number of reasons, and one of them is to return sight to the blind. Now, when you look at this story, another posture thing that's very evident in this story is, was he healed before or after he obeyed? Of course, after. But for some of us, God has spoken to us through his word or through the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's given us a dream or whatever, but we've been given a very directive thing to do, and we say, no, 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 God, I don't want to do that. I want you to bless me first. I want you to heal me first. And God is saying very stridently, no, I want you to obey me first. And sometimes, in fact, most often in Scripture, the blessing follows the obedience. And it's not easy to obey in this circumstance. I don't know how far away this pool is, but this guy's totally blind. He's got to find his way to this pool. I don't know if he knew his way to the pool. He, he does, you know, what, what's the, if someone smears mud on your face and in particular on your eyes, the first thing you want to do is get that mud off of your face and you're licking your hands and you're trying to get it off. He doesn't do that because Jesus has told him not to. And he's stumbling around, not just because of the mud, but because he's blind, trying to get to this pool. And so he does this very unusual thing. He obeys, and he has faith until he has sight. So a very important posture question. Has God asked you to do something, and you've refused? 
That really gums up the works. Well, the religious people, if you keep reading this story, and I'm not going to read more of it now, I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 9. The religious people are very unhappy. They're very unhappy in chapter 5, and they're very unhappy in chapter 9 as well. And so they start to browbeat this guy. Who healed you? Who is this guy? Where is he? Tell us all about him. He did this wrong, and they start attacking Jesus. You know, he can't be a righteous guy. And then later they start issuing the fake news, if you keep reading. He didn't really get healed. This is not really the same guy. And they try to muddy the waters up, literally, and they attack Jesus. You know, he healed on the Sabbath. You know that if you read the Gospels seven different times, I I laugh when I read this, seven different times Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which was one of their little rules. You can't heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus said, your little rules don't matter. What matters to God is people. Jesus never, ever, ever broke one of God's laws. He came to fulfill the Scripture not to deny it. And so he always obeyed his father, always obeyed the word of God. But he didn't follow their little rules. And so seven times in in both of these stories, he's healing on the Sabbath. So these guys are choked about it. In chapter five, they're mad because he's carrying his mat and he's walking. And those, those are another two of the rules. You're not supposed to carry your mat on the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to work, walk over a certain distance. So I don't know how far Jesus got him to walk to, uh, uh, you know, on, in chapter 5 or in chapter 9 where he says, go to the pool. I don't know how far, but it may be he got him and he probably did get him to walk further than they were allowed to walk in those days. And so these guys are choked because of these violation of their rules, not God's laws, but their rules. And they start to browbeat this guy and begin to attack this guy. And this guy stood with Jesus. Now this is interesting. Because these religious guys, they had power. They had the power to wreck this guy's life. If you keep reading the story, we know that they called the parents of this guy in. The parents are scared. And they don't want to answer questions. Because they know these religious guys can, can wreck things for us. So they just go, um... Ask our son. He's of age. He can answer for himself. And they run out of the room. This guy stands with Jesus, even though it was going to cost him. What do we have to say about Jesus when people ask? This is another posture thing. This is a posture thing. We don't have to have all the answers. This guy says, if you read the story, he goes, I don't know too much about this guy. All I know is this. I was blind, and now I see. They keep pressing him, and he goes, well, I don't don't know what his name is. I'm guessing it says in verse 18, he says, I'm guessing he's a prophet, but I don't really know. And then as you keep reading in verse 28, it says they're throwing insults at him, and then they eventually throw him out. In other words, he's in big trouble in their eyes. If you read verses 35 to 41, um, Jesus hears that this guy has stood with him through thick and thin. And by the way, let me just pause and say, if you said some things about Jesus or not said the things you knew you should and you're ashamed of that, he can forgive you. 
you haven't wrecked your relationship with him. He wants you to own your stuff, wants me to. But he'll forgive you because he wants a great relationship with you. So don't let that be the barrier as to why you don't come today. Now, I've forgotten where I was, so let me think here for a second. He says to Jesus, um, Jesus finds him because he's heard that they've been browbeating him, insulting him, and throw him out of the place. And that's not good news in that culture. And in verse 35 to 41, Jesus seeks him out. And he finds him, and he says this very important question. He says, do you believe, Jesus says to the guy, basically he says, do you believe I am your king? And in verse 38, a beautiful confession, the guy says, yes, I believe, Lord. I believe, Lord. This is a beautiful confession of faith. And then he worshiped him. And this is the posture Jesus invites us to assume as we come to be prayed for for healing. A posture of surrender, a posture of worship. And so as you come, I invite you to have those kinds of postures. So how does this work? As I mentioned, there's four stations around the room. Um, you can see where it says pray station, prayer station, and one of them's fallen down over here. But you'll come uh, privately. In other words, there's going to be some of our leaders at those stations, and they're going to pray for you. And so you're going to come, and you're just going to talk with them, not other people. Um, but it's also public. There's going to be music playing, so the rest of the people can't hear what you're saying. But they're going to see you come. And so it, it's a humbling thing to come and say, I need help. Uh, I need a touch from God. And uh, we invite you to come. We, it doesn't matter which station you go to. Don't think that you got to, well, I got I to be prayed, by that, prayed for by that certain person because it's not about the person. It's not about the formula of the words. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that does the healing. And so we invite you to come to be prayed for. We say to our people, all of the spiritual gifts can be at play here. So we don't know what God's going to do, but we, we come in faith praying bold prayers. One question we will ask you for sure is, as specifically as possible, what do you need from God? Because we want to pray specifically. Now, both of these stories are of physical healings, but you might have an emotional need. You might have a spiritual need. Uh, there's many different stories in the passage. In fact, Jamie last week, as he was preaching from chapter 4, referenced the story of one person coming on behalf of another person for healing. So you might want to come on behalf of a loved one for prayer for them. Whatever it is that you need from God, we are more than, we're, we're very privileged to pray for you. As you come, they will ask you that question. They may ask you some other questions. Sometimes nothing gets asked. Sometimes several questions get asked along the line of those posture questions we've referred to today. As we pray, I invite our people, and they, they've been ta we've talked about this, to pray bold prayers, faith-filled prayers, and yet not demanding prayers because we understand very clearly God is God, not us. He's in charge. 
We understand that God decides how a person is touched. We understand he, he decides on the timing, whether it's instant, um, the methodology, whether it's over time, or if it's going to be a resurrection. We invite you to come. Um, kind of keep the areas, you'll see where they're sitting, keep those areas private. In other words, if you're not coming, just pull back a little bit. And if you're, you're welcome to stay and pray for the people, you won't know what's being said, but um, uh, you know, just pray for those being prayed for. Or if you don't want to, just feel free to, to exit the room and do your visiting out there. Let's, uh, let's conclude our time now in prayer. And then I'm going to invite those that are going to be helping at the different stations to move there and get those set up. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence once again. We're so we're excited about what you're going to do. I think we prayed for probably 15 different people or so in the first service, Lord. And, and I don't know how, how many people you've put into their hearts to come this morning, but I pray that if they're worried or scared, that they would just say, Lord, whatever you want, and that they would then do it. God likes to work with people that he can shape. And so, Lord, we invite you to be honored and glorified in all that we do today. And as we go out from this place, may we make our MIFG. May we be people that wherever we are, we are all there. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.